A number of years ago, uh, one of the more famous Hollywood couples uh, had been together for a period of time. They got married. And when they came, they, they rented a place in California up on a cliff and had this uh, fancy multi-million dollar wedding ceremony. But when it came time to exchange their vows, their vows were um, not what we're used to hearing. The vow that he made included things like, I promise to share the thermostat. And her vow included uh, that she would always make his favorite banana smoothie, things like that. You had this monumental moment of taking vows that they made light of. With, their, with the way they wrote these vows and, their, and whatever tradition they were drawing on. But I won't surprise you when I tell you that their marriage did not last that long. Of course, it's Hollywood to start with, but it didn't last very long. But we think about how important and how serious vows are that we take and the commitments that we make that are of that kind of solemn nature. And uh, what we're doing over the next five weeks, we're starting a sermon series today where we're going back to look at in a sense, these kind of vows that we took as we were baptized, as we became new Christians, or as we affirmed those things in confirmation as adults, what were those vows? What were those things we said? And particularly the ones that are beyond just profession of faith that go into things we've committed to in living out our faith. That's what we're going to be looking at. And um, I want to start by maybe just giving a little bit of context to that and a little bit of background for us to think about. If you look at um, the Book of Common Prayer, when you get to the baptism service and um, you go to like page 304 you'll, in the prayer book, you'll see there is a section labeled the Baptismal Covenant. And when you look at it, it's, it's not labeled with any subheadings, but it, it has two segments to it. It has one segment that is a profession of faith. It is taking the creed and breaking it into questions. And so you're asked to affirm the, basically the creed with a number of questions. And then after that, it turns to five questions that are of a different nature. Those are the five questions we're going to look at in this sermon series. We're going to take one each week. And they are questions that call us to commit, that call us to this, this deep, deeper place in how we live out our faith. And if you look at them, they're, they're questions that go to how we worship. There are questions that go to resisting evil and repenting. There are questions that go to living the kind of life that commends itself to the gospel. Questions that go to seeking and serving others in the name of Christ. Questions that go to respecting the dignity of all humans. Those, those are the kinds of the sweep of the kind of questions that we take and that we, that we commit to in baptism. And as we start to look at that, um, I believe, I really, really do believe that these questions are hugely important because I believe as we embrace these questions and go serious with them and hold on to them and live them, it will bring life to us. It will bring new levels of life, new spiritual health, new life, new joy, new every, all these kinds of things that God will use it to mold us as we live it out. So I think they're amazingly important. And as we turn to begin to, to, to look at them, I want to pause for a second, though, and just look at the broader concept of this section of the Book of Common Prayer that's labeled Baptismal Covenant. And I want to suggest for just a moment that maybe the word covenant here is a bit confusing. 
if you stop and think about what is a covenant, and when you were being you were baptized, what were you entering a covenant? Like how how was that working? What it, what were you making a covenant on that day with God? the The word covenant is defined as a bond entered into voluntarily by two parties by which each pledges him or herself to do something for the other. That's the definition from the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church. And so one of the, one of the interesting points to think about for a second is, are you really negotiating and entering a normal co- uh, covenant? Is God saying, I'll do this, this, and this, and you say, I'll do this, this, and this, and then we have a covenant? There are many people who would say that the Book of Common Prayer in 79, the 79 prayer book did something new. So hear me out on this for a second. This is a little bit of a footnote. All right, I got to apologize, but I think it's an important one. If you go back and look at the early prayer books, like you go look at maybe the, the main prayer book that got used for so long and still used in lots of places, the Book of Common Prayer from 1662, it doesn't mention covenant at all. It doesn't mention baptismal covenant at all. It doesn't have any of that going on. And a, lot of, a number of people would say, one group of people would say that when you're getting baptized, you're not negotiating a covenant with God. You're not doing this, I'll agree to this, you agree to that. It's all already been done. Jesus, on our behalf, as our representative, as the Messiah, had already entered into this covenant with God the Father. And all we do is through repentance and uniting through faith, join into that covenant. But it's not a forming of a new covenant. It's a joining in of one that already existed and is fully and is complete. Others say, no, actually, there's a personal covenant being formed on this day between you and God. It's an individual one sort of being negotiated there, and your part of it are these terms. I don't know. I don't want to get hung up on this. I think it's important to pause there for a minute. I think it's interesting, though, that the early drafts of the 79 prayer book, the very first drafts of this service, didn't call this a baptismal covenant. The early drafts of it called this profession of faith and commitment. And I kind of think that's more what it is, because I think it's already, already that way. But there's, we don't need to dig to the bottom of that. I just want to put that out. We don't need to dwell on it. I think at the end of the day, what we're talking about are these really serious really solemn commitments or covenants, perhaps, that that we are engaging in and the life that it brings to us as we engage in those. That's what we're looking at with this uh, sermon series. And we start to look at these five. Again, just, just to kind of go back with a little bit of history, if you go back to that 1662 prayer book, the person being baptized um, would really be about saying, I renounce evil, I profess faith, and then I'm going to take a vow of commitment. And at the time, there was only one question, one five, there was one question, and the vow of commitment, it read like this, wilt thou then obediently keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in the same all the days of thy life? That was the one question. And when we got to make the, the 79 prayer book, that one question became five questions, which we're going to look at. And, and I think they're beautiful questions. I, th- I think they're enriching and life-giving questions. The first one we're looking at today is this question of, will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of the bread and the prayers? That's the first 
question that we're dealing with. It's the first one that we get after the, after the creedal questions. And um, as we start to look at that, it may sound familiar to you, and it, it probably does because we read that passage, not just in baptisms, but it is from a passage of Scripture. It's from Acts 2, verse 42. And so we read it usually at Pentecost or frequently at Pentecost. That would be part of the reading. And a little bit of context. So now we're, we're the question that we read and that we take in this baptismal covenant comes from this passage of Scripture. What is this passage of Scripture? Okay, well, this is on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has blown the doors open. All the stuff you think about with Pentecost has taken place. And Peter gets up and preaches. And then there are 3,000 converts on that day who come to Christ. And then the very next verse is this one. They continued in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of the bread and the prayers. That's the passage that is from Acts 2.42. And if you look at it, there are three pieces to it, and I'm going to look at all three of them in kind of quick order. The first involves learning, the early church, going down through our age and through this covenant, a commitment to learning, the apostles' teaching, and then uh, the fellowship and then the last part where it talks about the breaking of the bread and the prayers is, is really a commitment to worship. So you have those three different things packed into that question. I want to look at them individually for just, just a moment. That first part is where you talk about in baptism and we make this commitment following that verse. And what the early church did was com to commit to being a people about learning, about learning these rhythms of grace that Jesus taught and that the church inspired by the Holy Spirit um, developed and, and, and nourished the early church with. And part of that for us is a commitment to allow God to mold us and change us by his ongoing speaking through Scripture it changes us and molds us. And it's, you know, sometimes I was this week, I was in a conference online where a business uh, consultant was, was talking to leaders and was talking about how you need to be aware of what you're taking on board and the people you're around. Because what you take on board and the, and the kind of people you're around is what you're going to put out. And I thought about it in terms of this scripture. Part of our commitment with scripture is we need God's goodness and love and mercy and grace and his teaching about all these things coming into us because it will change us and mold us and it will be what comes out of us. And you think about it with, um, I think about one of the uh, evangelical Anglicans who wrote about this passage years ago. I read uh, John Stott writing about this. He says on this first day with this passage, it's like God was setting up and calling and creating a school and you had 3,000 students on this first day, who are all saying, I'm going to sit at the feet of the apostles. I'm going to learn from them. And, it, you know, and he, he comments, and I think this is interesting to think about. They've had this fantastic miracle take place, this mystery take place. And they've been converted as they've watched all this phenomenal things take place. But they don't get rid of their intellect. They keep it there and they're willing to learn and they're going to submit and learn at the, the teaching of the apostles. Their, their minds are still in it 
And that's part of what they're called to. And not only that, but they're not, they're not just saying, okay, well, now the Holy Spirit's going to teach me. They're sitting at the, with the teaching of the, of the apostles. And for us today where we live, we would recognize a number of ways that might make sense to us today, but, but that the apostles' teaching has all been captured and brought into the pages of the New Testament. And so when we think about this committing to the teaching of the apostles, we think about our commitment to learn and be molded by and folded into the story of the New Testament is what it's doing. And it's something that brings life to us. We're, we're missing out. We're way missing out on an avenue of growth and life if we're not taking in God's word. And I, I read recently uh, a story that came from one of the biblical scholars that I like, Eugene Peterson, the guy who did the translation of the message, if you've ever read that um, version of the Bible, that translation of the Bible. But he, he tells this story. And um, I, this is a story in which he's talking about if you've read scripture and it seemed boring to you, or maybe it didn't seem relevant to you, his suggestion and comment is maybe it's because we're not yet living fully into our faith like in, in, in the world. Because as we start to really go deep and living out our faith, then scripture takes on new life. And this is the analogy he gives. He says, at age 35, I bought running shoes and began enjoying the smooth rhythms of long distance running. Soon I was competing in 10K races every month or so, and then a marathon once a year. By then I was subscribing and reading to three running magazines. Then I pulled a muscle and I couldn't run for a couple months. Those magazines were still all over the house, but I never opened one. The moment I resumed running though, I started reading again. That's when I realized that my reading was an extension of something I was a part of. I was reading for companionship and affirmation of the experience of running. I learned a few things along the way, but mostly it was to deepen my world of running. If I wasn't running, there was nothing to deepen. The parallel with reading scripture is striking. If I'm not living in active response to the living God, reading about his creation, salvation, holiness won't hold my interest for long. The most important question isn't, what does this mean, but what can I obey? Simple obedience will open up our lives to a text more quickly than any number of Bible studies, dictionaries, or concordances. As we live out a dynamic faith and, and try to go into Monday living out our faith, reading scripture takes on a different perspective. That's the first thing, this commitment to the apostles' teaching and to learning. And the second thing what it, that it that talks about is the fellowship. And the word that he uses is koinonia. And it's this word that scholars will say has kind of two dimensions to it. The first dimension is this community of shared experience of those who've shared and experienced God's grace through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a community that's about this grace and this love that's been shared. And that brings it together in the, in the critical place of that. And the second dimension or aspect of it is a fellowship that brings about giving. And he, um, scholars will point out that when St. Paul, you remember this in one of his missions, he goes out and he raises this money amongst the Greek churches to take it back to Jerusalem, to give it. When he talks about that gift he's raising, 
He calls it koinonia. So there's this giving aspect or this generous aspect to it. That's part of this fellowship thing. And I want to just mention, it's been, this has been a brutal week, right? For most of us, I lost power. I lost water. Luckily, I didn't have any pipes break, but I know we've had just chaos across our entire city and region and area and state. And one of the things, a couple of things I should just drop here since I'm talking about giving and generosity is our church. We've already done a lot of great things. And you don't always get to see it behind the scenes, but like I was warmed this week to see a video with Austin Street Center um, thanking us for how much money we gave that was allowing, I think, 120-something homeless people to be put up in a hotel during this, all this stuff and all the different things that we're doing. But I want you to know if you're in a place where you can do it, leaning into this kind of generosity that's tied up in our fellowship, you can give right now to help us. And there's a special place on the website for you to do that. You, if you go to stmichael.org slash give now, you can see the giving opportunities to help with all these incredible demands we have right now in our society here, in our, in our community here. And also you can go to Mission Outreach and see volunteer opportunities. This call to fellowship, I think, is something that um, it changes us. I know for me, at least, and for probably everybody, the pandemic has been a very amazing reminder of how important fellowship is because we have maybe some level of fellowship now strained. You know, you guys are we're here are distanced and with masks and, you know, the peace, we're going to do this in a minute. It's a bit strained, but we miss it. And we re- maybe it's helped many of us to realize how important fellowship is in living out our faith. And I want to say it's one more thing that brings life to us as we live out our faith. And the final thing that uh, comes up in this question that comes from Acts 2 is about the breaking of the bread and the prayers, which is basically worship. And in both of those, the um, Greek version of it, it has the definite article. It's got the the. And the breaking of the bread is both communion and it's also, along with it, a fellowship meal, as we see in Corinthians and other places, But then the the prayers is not just praying, but it's a prayer service. So all that gets packaged in and saying that it's about worship. Now, this last couple of weeks, I've done a bunch of research on the baptismal covenant. I will tell you straight up that the record is extremely clear that the the committee that worked on the prayer book, the reason they put this question in we're dealing with today is because they put out an early draft that didn't have it. And some respondent, God bless them, said, All the stuff you've asked us to do makes it sound like we can do it without being nurtured by communion and by the sacrament of of Holy Communion. And so they added this question and not just about communion, but about all these things. That's how it got put in here. But it certainly includes that. And we know that this kind of worship that includes the Eucharist was central up into the 16th century. It's like this huge part of who we are. And you think about it, whenever we get to the most significant moments in life, in history, this has oftentimes been a part of it. Before every coronation in, the, uh, in England, they're always going to have Eucharist. Um, before wars and battles, and all, it, it's one of the most sacred things we can do. I used to always get moved. I used to do communion with a communion kit by this priest, Donald Smith, the late Donald Smith. But his communion kit, whenever you used it, it had a card that was in the top of it that talked about he was a chaplain in World War II. And this very kit was his kit. 
And it would talk about how many people, he gave communion to 700 people on the morning of Normandy, the Battle of Normandy, and sending all people off into battle. And it's just a reminder of the most sacred, strengthening, fortifying thing that we can do is participate in this. Our uh, former bishop, um, Bishop Stanton, said the Eucharist is the central sacrament of the Christian life. Although we become united to Christ in our baptism, we are fed, nourished, and sustained by the Eucharist. And that's part of what I think our vows are going at. This gives us life. It strengthens us for the journey, and it keeps us there, and it's part of what we commit to. And that's the reason why, or one of the reasons why, when you do St. Michael 101, or the, those who go through St. Michael 101, one of the commitments we'll talk about, membership here means, is that if you're in town and you're not sick, you'll be at worship. Now, of course, now we're doing it by streaming, but post-COVID, it's back to that because it's such a vital piece of how we live out our faith through worship. So that's what this question is today. Um, these, these things, we go back, it's, a, it's basically a question that calls you to commit to what the early church did and what's been done through the ages. That we're gonna be a people about learning and being molded by the apostles' teaching through scripture. That we're gonna be a, a people in a place about community and about fellowship, and that we're gonna be a people of worship, both in terms of prayers and in the sacramental life, because it gives us life and it sustains us. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you call us in love on a journey, and you equip us and mold us and give us um, a calling that will lead to life. As we launch off into Lent, make this a time of renewal Help us to learn, help us to fellowship, and help us to worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.